Let us pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather here and worship you today. And Lord, as we continue to study and examine your word, this, these words of the gospel we just read, your prayer, Jesus, for us, your disciples, may we be those people, may we live out that prayer. And God, may you speak into our hearts and lives this day and in these moments we have together. And may my words be yours. In Jesus' name. So we come to Ephesians 4. We've been journeying through Ephesians. And if you've missed any of the weeks, any of the chapters, feel free. You can go and listen online to the sermons. Or you can call or email the office. And we can send you a DVD of the service. We're journeying through Ephesians chapter by chapter. Looking at a section of verses in each. But we encourage you to read the whole chapter before and after uh, we talk about it. To continue to think about it. This is one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. In fact, this passage today is one of my favorite passages uh, in in the whole Bible, certainly in the whole New Testament. I think one of Paul's most interesting writings. I first encountered it in college, really. I had to memorize part of it. This is the one that I really failed to memorize and understand, so I became determined to get it right for the future, and it's stuck with me ever since. But it's a little different. The first three chapters of Ephesians, as I've mentioned, Paul is kind of talking about theologically and philosophically. He's talking about the concepts of what Christianity is, what following Jesus is. In chapter 4, and then for the remaining chapters, he turns to kind of practical instructions, instructions on how to live this out. Today, as we look at Ephesians, I'm going to talk about it in different sections. But, um, you know, it is simply instructions. It's instructions for the Christian life, instructions specifically for the church, a a bit of a manual. Now, I'll be honest with you, and Jessica's in the nursery, so she may or may not hear this, that's okay. Uh, I don't read instruction manuals. I don't know, I'm told that that might be a gender thing, that might be an age thing, that might be a personality thing, all the body. I only read instruction manuals when I get absolutely desperate, okay? As the worst case scenario. By then, they're usually gone. Whereas Jessica reads and studies the instruction manual while I am ripping the whatever it is open and trying to figure it out on my own. Again, some people might argue that that is a gender or personality thing. But these are instructions for us as the church. Paul gives us some instructions about how to function, about how to live this Christian life. And so first I'm going to look at this first section, verses 1 through 6 here, and it's on your insert. Paul starts by reminding us what matters most, to live a life worthy of Christ. It's to live a life worthy of the calling of Christ, to be who God created us to be. This doesn't mean to be perfect. This doesn't mean to get everything right but to seek to live our life in a way that is worthy of Christ. And this is not a statement of guilt. It's not even a statement of obligation. What Paul understands, because he, for a large portion of his life, didn't live a life worthy of Christ. He tried to kill Christians. He understands that the freedom that we so desire, that the best life that we so crave for, crave, is is this life that Christ has for us. And so Paul tells us to live a life worthy of Christ, not because we're obligated or we should feel guilty or because we're going to be punished, but because he knows he's encountered Christ in a way where he knows that that's the best life, that the best life is lived 
being worthy of Christ, seeking to be who Christ has called us to be, to do as Christ would call us to do. He reminds us that we are dependent upon God's grace, that all that we have, all that we are, is because of God's grace. And he gives us some instructions for interacting with each other. You see, Paul had an idea that there might sometimes be conflict in the church, that there might be conflict amongst Christians. I don't know if you've heard this rumor, but it happens sometimes. Maybe you've experienced this in your family. That conflict is a natural part of human relationships, right? And I've yet to meet the person who enjoys that. I certainly don't. Yet, Paul recognizes, he knows, and as he writes to this church who is having some conflict, he says, God is aware of conflict. But God has some instructions that are given here. Talking about bearing with one another. It says, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. A positive attitude towards each other, towards others. That can be hard to do sometimes. Uh, you know, my yearly reminder of that, of our not-so-positive attitude towards each other, is that silly thing called Election Day. I find it difficult to watch the news because it's just, no matter who you watch or what you listen to, there's just, there's just hate speech everywhere. And it was interesting for me being a participant in that this year for the first time and how I can see that that can become a bit of a reality. And you've heard it's well documented that my hardest time to have a positive attitude with others is behind the wheel of the car. Thankfully, that's mostly private moments, but that's where I struggle. But in the church, as Christians, we're called to bear with one another, to give one another, and even those non-Christians out there that are not like us, the benefit of the doubt. Patient, humble, gentle, loving. That it's about mutual love. And see, Paul's goal here is simple. The goal of the church is unity. The goal of Christians is unity. That doesn't mean agreement. That doesn't mean being the same but it means being unified. Unified in these characteristics. Unified in Christ. Unified in the things that matter most. Different in everything else. But you see, Paul's vision for the church, Paul's instruction for the church could be summarized in one simple word. Unity. And I'm not sure that we've always figured out in our culture anymore how to have unity in the midst of diversity. Unity in the midst of differing opinions. But this is our call as Christians. Then he ends this section with what I call his one statements. He reminds us what it is that we're unified in, why it is that we're unified. And it starts here in verse 4. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. These one statements are important for Paul. Very important. Then we move on to verse, verses 7 through 10. I'll talk about it a little bit here. And, and really, Paul's talking about, again, reminding us that all of our gifts come from Christ. That what we have is because Christ apportioned. That who we are is because Christ came and Christ died and raised from the dead. That all of it comes from God. 
And that we are given the gifts that we have out of God's generosity. That we all have a part to play. That Christ came not just so that we had a good story or just so that we could say we're saved from our sins. But that we're given gifts to live differently. Now I warned you last week that I wanted to try something different. It's not different for me, but it'll be different for us. And, and that's because, you know, I'm different is hard. You know, we're Lutherans, right? And so that's important. But there's, um, I want to show just a brief clip from a movie here that I think illustrates what part of what Paul is saying in this chapter right here and what he'll continue to say. The movie is called Hugo. And I don't know if you've ever seen it or read the book. It's very, very good. It's primarily about two children. One is an orphan child who's living in a clock tower. He fixes clocks. Nobody knows he's alone. The other is a wealthy child. She's a bit of an orphan. She's being raised by her grandparents. The one child who lives in the clock tower is struggling with his identity. He's struggling with maturity, with behavior, being forced to be an adult but stealing to eat and things like that. And this little girl, though well-resourced, is struggling with her identity, too. She, she doesn't know where she belongs in the world. She doesn't know where she fits in the world. So I'm going to have you, uh, hopefully this is successful. Remember, trying something new, so you've got to be patient. Uh, watch this clip here, and I'll talk about it and the rest of the passage after. I um, saw this film for the first time when my friend showed it to me, and this is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. I, I think it actually makes a profound statement better than I could, that, you know, we're not machines, of course. We're human beings created in the image of God. But there are no extra parts. That God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't create extra parts. You ever put something together and you get done and there's extra pieces left, right? And you wonder why that is. And again, if you're someone who read the instructions like my wife, you go back and double check. And if you're someone like me, you hope it doesn't break. There are no spare parts. We all matter. We all matter in the world. We all have significance. We all have gifts. We all have something to contribute. In the church, in the community, in those we know, and in the world. Because God doesn't make extras. We all have significance. And for two children here in this movie that are looking for significance, this image of a clock 
with the parts that work together is a helpful one. The image that Paul gave us in our first reading of the body, that all of the parts matter, is a good image for us. That everything is connected. It all has significance. Trust me, you know, when Jessica broke her foot, well, or figured out her foot was broken while I was gone in Israel, she and I are both realizing how important that foot is. And how that foot being broken impacts everything else. As I found a nail yesterday and I discovered that my foot also was important, you discover these things matter. That every little bit matters. That it's all connected. That some of you might get stressed. And when I get stressed, I carry my stress right here behind my ears. And if I get really stressed, it starts to hurt my neck. And then all of a sudden, my back starts to hurt. That all of these things are connected. It all matters. None of us are spare parts. Whether we're 7 or 70, that clocks and bodies as they get older, function differently, right? But it all still matters. We all have significance. We all have a role to play. In verses 11 through 13, Paul talks about these gifts and some of the categories of these gifts. And in our first reading, he gave quite a few of these categories and gifts. But Paul also talked about why it is these gifts exist to build up the body. And when he talks about the body, he's talking about all Christians together. He's talking about the church, the whole church, and individual churches. I would argue the same thing could be said of families, that we have these gifts that we might be built up. But the goal here is maturity. And I'm not talking about emotional maturity or practical maturity. That would be hypocritical. But bear with me. What Paul is talking about here, this goal of unity and using our gifts for maturity, is he's talking about something deeper, spiritual maturity, maturity in Christ. And here he gives us three kind of pieces of that. What are the three marks of Christian maturity as individuals and as a church? Knowledge of Christ. Knowledge of Christ. And that should be our focus. That's always my hope, that my focus is pointing people to Christ and Christ's kingdom. Knowledge of Christ. Second, spiritual maturity. Looking at things the way that God does. Living the way that God intended. And finally, to become Christ-like. That our goal in life is to become more and more like Jesus. God in the flesh. Not our version of Jesus, but the Jesus of scriptures. And so the question I ask myself, and the question we should ask ourselves is, when I look at these measures of what Paul calls Christian maturity, am I? And, and better yet, where can I become more mature? Is it in my knowledge of Christ? Is it my spiritual maturity? Is it my Christ-likeness? Or is it all of the above? Because we're here for a purpose. There are no spare parts. God uses us to make a difference. Then we come to verses 14 through 16. This is 
uh, an interesting final section. It's a vision of what this looks like. It's a picture. That's what a vision is. It's a picture of what it looks like. It's Paul's kind of application of this, his practical argument of to be mature in Christ and to be unified. What does that look like? Because the truth is we're all different, right? And so because God's created us uniquely, each a different part, no spare parts, we're, we're created unique in the image of God. And I love verse 14. Look with it, if you, if, if you will. Why do we do this? Paul says, so that we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. That this is why we seek maturity, Christian maturity, so that we won't be swayed by any old thing that comes our way. See, the Ephesians were having a problem. They would believe anything. They would believe anything the world told them. They would believe anything anyone who was a Christian told them. And so they were constantly changing their mind about Christ and about faith. They were being tricked by all these things that looked right and looked good but weren't. Thankfully, this problem only has happened to them. But this is why we seek Christian maturity. So that like a tree, when the winds come, we might be able to bend, but we wouldn't break. So that we know what we believe and why. And better yet, and perhaps more important than knowing what we believe, living that belief out. And Paul talks about that a little bit. He uses this phrase, speaking the truth in love. But that's what we do when we're different but called to be unified. And truth is, as Christians, we either usually do one of those parts well and the other poorly. We're either really good at speaking the truth, not so much the in love part. Or we're really great at being gentle, but we're not so good at being truthful. And Paul calls us to something deeper, speaking the truth in love. I love the message translation of this passage. The message is a great supplement to Scripture and it's a great translation as a supplement in many ways. And Paul says, so that you would move rhythmically together. And as a guy who has no rhythm, I still get that. I still understand that. That that's the goal. There are no spare parts. We all matter. We all have a purpose. Everything is connected. We are all connected. And we're joined together as one body. And our goal and our hope and our purpose is to come together in Christian unity to be fully mature like Christ so that we can be loved to one another and to the world. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this letter that Paul wrote and these difficult yet important instructions of the Christian life. God, help us to seek unity. Help us to recognize that we all matter regardless of our gifts, our talents, our personality, our age, or stage of life. God, help us to know that you call us to be more and more like Jesus and give us the strength to do so as individuals, as a family, and as a church. It's in that name of Jesus we pray. Amen. <laughs>